big question is this, how do we use the eight frameworks inside the new science of physical health to overcome this statement? Personal responsibility for your physical health is a myth and it doesn't work. These eight frameworks do. They will make you more physically healthy than 98% of people in the community that you live in. Why don't we get started in today's episode right now? Hey everybody, welcome back to episode number 90 of the New Science of Physical Health here in the Daily Drop. Fittingly, it's episode number 90 because Dr. Kenneth Cooper, who you're about to hear the second part from yesterday's episode, this is part two, is 90 years old. I was talking to my wife earlier and, and said, does that guy sound like he's 90 years old? She goes, no way, because she's never actually seen Dr. Cooper. So here's what we're going to do. Pick up on a slightly different part of his conversation from yesterday. We've got about 15 minutes of Dr. Cooper. Right at the end, this is the part that I think is really important. Right at the end, he talks about the uh, number of deaths from cardiovascular disease that have, or the percentage of them, that have one first symptom. So you know if you get a broken arm, the symptom is pain because you got a broken arm. If you have a, um, a toothache, you go to the dentist because you've got a symptom of nerve pain in your tooth. With a heart attack, Dr. Cooper talks about at the back end of this 15 minutes that we're going to transition to in a moment, the very major symptom. I think maybe something, I can't remember what the number is, maybe 40% of heart attacks have. I want you to tune in to specifically that part of his conversation because then I'll be back on the end to talk about something that's related to, I get some research, this is what it's related to, by the way, I've jumped ahead a bit there, as I often do when I'm talking, but I get some research come across my desk all the time. Well, today I got some that came from a technology website. So this is unusual. I follow um, lots of technology websites because I'm in love with tech, always have been. And one of them is called CNET. And they published an article today about blood pressure. And I think to do with um, the way that which technology, this is what the aim is. They're writing an article about blood pressure because they talk, CNET is a, a, a website and there's a magazine. I think there's a, a YouTube channel, all the different social media stuff that, um, basically reports on the world's latest technology. And so they were relating blood pressure to being measured with technology, some things that are going to be coming down the uh, down the uh, road, so to speak, that measure uh, people's blood pressure. Well, what's very interesting is what Dr. Um, Cooper is talking about with his 50-plus years of research at the Cooper Institute down there in Dallas and in Texas and um, the USA, for for those of you who don't know where that is, I'm sure most of us do, but not everybody does because we've got a lot of countries listening in here. So that's in Dallas, Texas, um, in the United States of America is where Dr. Cooper is. And this article today that came across my desk was talking about how blood pressure, high blood pressure, which I'm after I finished this episode today, for tomorrow's episode, I'm going to dive into this article, because, but I'll just give you a little prelude. And then I'll finish at the end, after Dr. Cooper speaks, a bit more about this, that there was a study recently that showed between 1999 and 2019, so a 20-year period, recent, the most recent 20 years that we've all lived through, and that's if you're 20 years old listening to this, 
blood, high blood pressure has doubled in the world. That is just, it used to be in 1999, high blood pressure. Now, you don't know, I shouldn't say you don't know. Most people don't know how dangerous it is. Most people, if I ask people, how do you get high blood pressure? Most people don't know. If I said, why is high blood pressure dangerous? Most people don't know. If I said to um, to people, um, what does high blood pressure do mechanically to your body that causes damage? Most people don't know. What's the mechanism? Most people don't know. Listen to this. We had in 1999, 648 million people had high blood pressure worldwide. It's a big number. But it's, it's jumped. Well, that was 1990 to 2019. So that was a 29-year period. Still ridiculous because it jumped to 1.28 billion people between 1990 and 2019. Now, I checked the, that, that is a 100% increase between 1990 and 2019, I'm thinking to myself, well, I wonder how much the world's population has grown in that time. Maybe that accounts for that. Well, no, it doesn't. There's only been, we haven't had a doubling of the world's population. In fact, we've had a 20% increase in the world's population in that time period. But we've had a 100% increase in the number of people that have high blood pressure. That is going to be significant at the end of this episode and tomorrow's episode. So let's transition now across to Dr. Cooper. Then I'll be back in a minute and we'll finish off with talking about what we're going to lead into after the brilliant, just the beautiful stuff that Dr. Cooper, the father of the new science of physical health, talks about. The person, in my opinion, in all of scientific history kicked off this area, particularly focusing in on how physical activity makes an impact on health adaptations that drive down your risk of a cardiovascular event and also cancer events. All right, transition to Dr. Cooper. I'll be back right at the end. For example, in 1990, we had only 13% of our children overweight obese, and now we have 36%. In 1990, we had 36% of our adults overweight obese. It's now 70%. We're in the midst of an obesity and diabetes epidemic that is shortening our life and is taking and something that can be prevented. One of our most famous studies that we published this institute over the last 51 years came out and published back in 2013. We followed 28,000 people for a period of 25 years. Now keep it, understand this closely because they were 59, they were 49 to 50 years of age, they came to the clinic, 21% were women. They were all healthy. We followed them for 25 years at only one variable, and that was their level of fitness measured by time on the treadmill. We classified people from very poor, poor, good, excellent, superior. These people were in the good category of fitness, the top 40% the percentile, and compared to the bottom 40%. And we found these people, the top 40%, after 25 years, this is published in February 2013, Adams Internal Medicine, that there was a 36% reduction in deaths from, from Alzheimer's disease. In this group, first and bottom category. Now, why would that occur? Only variable we looked at was chronic, was, was their level of fitness. This came out back in May, June, 2019 in Harvard Magazine. And it says this at the bottom. It says, could inflammation be the cause of myriad chronic conditions? Because they point out in this article, you can have a brain full of amyloid plaque and tau proteins, which causes Alzheimer's. But if you don't have inflammation, you don't get the disease. Chronic inflammation is obviously caused to the 
puzzle to the process yet, if ever you can actually first verse the pathology. What is chronic inflammation? We have acute inflammation. You cut your finger, have an infectious process, but you can have some smoldering chronic inflammation. We measured that by the C-reactive protein. And physicians are not paying attention to the importance of chronic inflammation. We haven't even concentrated on this in the past. I hope I'll be doing down with this forthcoming documentaries coming out of my life. I make physicians more aware of the fact you need to concentrate on measuring chronic inflammation and trying to correct it because evidence has been proving that chronic inflammation can be associated with these diseases, Alzheimer's, cancer, arthritis, asthma, gout, psoriasis, anemia, multiple sclerosis, diabetes, depression, Parkinson's are all indeed triggered by chronic inflammation. Also published in the article from Harvard. All right, now what is the cause of chronic inflammation? Oxidative stress, pollution, cigarette smoking, processed foods, sugar and refined carbohydrates, and inactivity and obesity causing chronic inflammation. Why are those people at 36% reduction in Alzheimer's dementia if they're in good category of fitness? Because these people for 25 years were lean and active, trim. Those people in category were overweight and obese. And I'm convinced that that was a major reason why we saw this tremendous difference in the problem with Alzheimer's dementia. The top category was about a category because of inactivity and obesity. Inactivity is prevalent throughout this country. It's concentrated, as you can see in this particular slide, in the southeastern part of the United States. We also can see obesity is concentrated in that area too. And so we do have steps to prevent Alzheimer's and dementia. In addition to exercise, think of these things. And it says this at the bottom. It says, could inflammation be the cause of myriad chronic conditions? Because they point out in this article, you can have a brain full of amyloid plaque and tau protein, which causes Alzheimer's. But if you don't have inflammation, you don't get the disease. Chronic inflammation is obviously caused to, causal to the process. You, have, you can actually first verse the pathology. What is chronic inflammation? We have acute inflammation. You cut your finger, have an infectious process, but you can have some smoldering chronic inflammation. We measured that by the C-reactive protein. And physicians are not paying attention to the importance of chronic inflammation. We haven't even concentrated on this in the past. I hope I'll be doing down with this forthcoming documentaries coming out of my life. I make physicians more aware of the fact you need to concentrate on measuring chronic inflammation and trying to correct it because evidence has been proving that chronic inflammation can be associated with these diseases, Alzheimer's, cancer, arthritis, asthma, gout, psoriasis, anemia, multiple sclerosis, diabetes, depression, Parkinson's are all indeed triggered by chronic inflammation, also published in the article from Harvard. All right, now what is the cause of chronic inflammation? Oxidative stress, pollution, cigarette smoking, processed foods, sugar and refined carbohydrates, and inactivity and obesity causing chronic inflammation. Why are those people at 36% reduction in Alzheimer's dementia if they're in good category of fitness? Because these people for 25 years were lean and active, trim. Those people in category were overweight and obese. And I'm convinced that that was a major reason why we saw this tremendous difference and the problem with Alzheimer's dementia, the top category was about a category because of inactivity and obesity. Inactivity is prevalent throughout this country. It's concentrated, as you can see in this particular slide, in the southeastern part of the United States. We also can see obesity is concentrated in that area too. And so we do have steps to prevent Alzheimer's and dementia. In addition to exercise, think of these things. Engage the brain daily. In my advanced days, in 90 plus years, I try to read every day. I go home and study at night. 
I've studied, I studied this morning, I'm going through preparing for another, another series of articles and presentations I'm giving. Engage the brain daily because you need to exercise the brain, you need to exercise the body. Exercise at least 30 minutes, collective or sustained, most days per week. Doesn't take that much to get this benefit. Sleep, very important for preventing Alzheimer's dementia, at least seven hours of sleep per night. Delay retirement. Zig Ziglar once said that you don't retire, you refire. And so that's what I'm trying to do in my advanced years. I'm still working 15, 60 hours a week and love it. Enjoy my patients and enjoy working with these people. Socialize, join a club, group volunteer organization. No tobacco use of any type. Use alcohol in moderation, if at all. And diet, healthy diet, Mediterranean type diet is strongly recommended. I don't follow that, but I follow this concept. I try to get five to 10 servings of fruits and vegetables every day. If you can do that, you get roughly equivalent Mediterranean diet. I start my breakfast every morning with at least one to two fruits. This morning, I had blueberries and I had grapefruit this morning. On my oatmeal, I had binnacle. They keep my cholesterol down. And take vitamins, very important as far as preventing Alzheimer's dementia. 400 micrograms of B12 day, 2,000 inductions of vitamin D day, and 1,000 milligrams of omega-3. Those are all very important. Hopefully, in the question and answer period, I want to talk more about vitamin D and omega-3 because that's something we've been basing for the last 10 years here at the clinic. One of the few clinics in the world that's doing this all of our patients. We have some amazing data showing that vitamin D high levels have a great, have a great deal of protection against Alzheimer's and dementia. And also, we know omega-3 can be a factor in brain health, can be a factor in, in controlling anxiety depression. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But those are very important points as far as a good overall preventive medicine program is taking the vitamin supplementation. We've been, we've been leading this, this concept and idea for a long time. We've published many articles about such things as vitamin D and cognitive ability and D and dementia, all these various things. And don't forget, contornary risk factors must be controlled for preventing Alzheimer's dementia. What is good for the heart is also good for the brain. This also is exciting to point out that from this article, from this, uh, this Medicare study, is those people that were followed for 25 years. We got their Medicare date. Top category fitness, good excellent, superior category fitness. Bottom category is very poor and poor. These people in that top category fitness have made 65 to 75 their cost of health care was 40% less than bottom category. You show me anything in the scientific literature that has proven you can prevent Alzheimer's dementia and you can control the cost of health care. We've got the best state in the world on those two subjects right now. And we need to get this message around the world because we are showing something amazing too. That people coming to our clinic are living longer than the national average. For example, we've been following a total of 100,000 patients who come to this clinic for 20 to 22 years and been following them, and we find out that our men's average life expectancy is uh, 87 is 86.7 years. Our women are 90.4 years. Average American woman is living 79 years. Average American man, 77.5 years. And our people are squaring off the curve, living a long, healthy life with folks and dying suddenly. That's the way I want to die. I don't want to die that long, slow death of Alzheimer's. I want to square off the curve, and at 90 years of age, that's what I'm hoping to. Well, how do our people do that? And that is by getting cooperized. I know most of you know about this, but these are eight concepts we recommend for our people to get cooperized. Number one, body weight, body mass index under 25. 25 to 30 is normal. 30 to 35 is obese. About 35 is morbidly obese. We want our people less than 25. You can go to the internet and enter your height and your weight. Get your BMI determination. You can find out what your body mass index by going to the internet. We'll check that very easy. Number two is, is nutrition. Consume five to 10 servings and fruits and vegetables every day, as I mentioned earlier. Exercise, I mentioned 30 minutes, plenty of sustain most days per week. Supplementation, talked about that. Tobacco, none of any type. 
Alcohol, no more. If you drink, I don't drink at all. I don't recommend alcohol. But if you do drink, no more than seven drinks a week. Neither men nor women should drink more than seven drinks a week. Study published in Lancet last year, followed a large group of people about 30 years, and they found if men would drink two drinks a day or 14 a week, which has been accepted in this country for a long time, and some big women should drink one a day and seven a week, and men two a day or 14 a week. If the men drink 14 drinks a week, they shorten their lifespan by one and a half to two years, just by alcohol. And then alcohol, no drugs, stress control, controlled by exercise, by meditation, relaxation techniques, and the examinations we're doing here. People have critiqued us even recently, New England Journal of Medicine was talking about in general, these executive examinations we do here are really not that valuable. But I would say the examinations done by most physicians, annual exams, are not that valuable. It's just a very cursory type of evaluation. But you come here for an all-day examination, and we're going to find things we, we find every day that people are have pending something very important. If I do just had a man this past week, he came in and thought he was healthy at 61 years of age, but he had a high coronary calcification score. Put him on the treadmill, it was abnormal. Did a CT angiogram. We do those here. You don't have to go in the hospital and have a catheter put up in your groin and look at the coronary arteries. We do it by injecting contrast media into the arm. We found he had severe through vessel disease. When he got him over the hospital, he had four cents the next day. He thought he was perfectly healthy. Didn't have any symptoms, 61 years of age, because the most common first symptom of severe heart disease is sudden death. 40% of the people, their most common, the most prevalent symptom is sudden death. That's the only symptom they have of heart disease. So don't die of something stupid. Our goal here is a twofold. Number one is to try to prevent cancer and heart disease. If we can't prevent it, diagnose it early. And we're doing that daily. Over, over 2,400 cases of prostate cancer, over 600 cases of breast cancer of lung cancer rather. And our people are living longer than the national average because we're picking it up early. Those examinations are very, very important. And we've led the way in that with over 300,000 stress tests as I'm concerned. Oh, Dr. Cooper, your prediction of longevity exceeding national average by at least 10 years. Nobody else has done that. Oh yes, they have. This is published back in 2018 from Harvard School of Public Health. What could they discover? Their risk factors, their, their risk factors, never smoking, healthy weight, regular physical activity, healthy diet, moderate alcohol, with 78,000 nurses and 45,000 physicians followed for 34 years. Remember, our men are leaving 87.5, 86.5 years. Their men, 87.6 years. Our women, 90.5 years. Their women, 93.1 years. We've got two data, only one in the world, we've been able to show that by implementing a good preventive medicine program, we're doing it here, like getting cuprides, we can prolong lives and screw off the curve, which is so very important. And they're saying this too, the most unappreciated risk factor in the world is your lifestyle because 76% of the diseases we have are preventable and more than 45% of cancers are preventable. MD Anderson says, if you eliminate obesity, inactivity, cigarette smoke, alcohol, you can drop cancer deaths by 60%. And no drug can replicate the benefits of an active lifestyle. And the way to resolve problems is, that is to empower the people, not empowering the government. All right, there you go. That's Dr. Cooper. My all-time hero as far as um, scientists are concerned and doctors, people who've pioneered this field, for people like me as an educator to take that complex medical research and make some sense out of it into some lesson formats that we can all use. Here is what I found the most interesting thing, which I mentioned at the start of this episode. Dr. Cooper said 40% of people worldwide who have a heart attack each year, 40% have one symptom. My father, this is my father. It's exactly what happened with my father. At age 46, by the way, 
Um, the one symptom that 40% of people have who have a heart attack is sudden death. Now, that just blows my mind. But what we don't know as we dive in behind what's the mechanism inside the human body that causes that to happen, where you have 40% of people have one symptom of cardiovascular disease and a heart attack, that's sudden death. That's their first thing. No pain before that, no conditions, sudden death, gone. Now, here's the interesting thing, that high blood pressure is one of the major, major, major contributors to being a trigger into other precursor events where you have Pre, when I say precursor events, I mean precursor conditions where you have one precursor condition, like high blood pressure, might trigger in another precursor condition, which over time might cause heart failure, meaning the, um, it might cause um, some of the other complex medical conditions that we've talked about relating to the uh, muscle cells and the lining of the heart, stiffening of the arteries. That causes other problems with atherosclerosis. So atherosclerosis is a precursor condition. Thrombosis is a precursor condition. Um, you've got arrhythmias that are a precursor condition to having a heart attack. You've got all these precursor conditions. And one of the things that you find, listen to this, this will blow your mind. Half, half of all the adults in the United States of America have high blood pressure. Half. Not because as you grow older, it's a natural thing. Because as you grow older, you have high blood pressure happening because a low level of physical activity, the incorrect dose, begins to cause high blood pressure, which triggers other precursor diseases that then leads to the, one of those first symptoms, 40% of people having a heart attack. It's a Dr. Eduardo Sanchez, the um, chief medical officer for prevention for the American Heart Association, in a private interview, told me that high blood pressure can help cause something called end-stage organ failure. In his words, a nasty, nasty, nasty disease. I won't go into what that is, but... It's, so we're going to talk about, the reason I'm bringing this up after what Dr. Cooper had mentioned, particularly about heart attacks and inflammation and the other stuff he went through there, is tomorrow's episode, I'm diving into the area of high blood pressure, especially in relation to this article when I find out that in the last 29 years, oh yeah, 29 years, we have doubled the number of people on the planet with high blood pressure. It's not a natural progression, but it's becoming a progression in 1.2 billion people on the planet when a large, large, large percentage of those people are going to end up having a cardiovascular event. If not a heart attack, something else. And the goal, the mission of the new science of physical health and what we do at the Daily Drop is to help people dive, get deep engagement and deep knowledge so that they can raise their personal physical health status. So let's look at blood pressure tomorrow. And in particular, how the heck did this come about? Why is it so dangerous? What does it do? And what do we do about it using the correct dose of physical activity to drive down this precursor condition behind things like a heart attack and a stroke? All right, everybody. I'll be sharing with you tomorrow. Can't wait for that episode. Looking forward to it. Thanks for taking the time to tune in to the last two episodes of my all-time hero, Dr. Kenneth Cooper, who is the living embodiment of the whole area of the new science of physical health. At 90, 
he is one tuned in man, but he's proven over his lifetime that the medical research that he's done for 50 plus years is true. Now it's not just on him, it's on lots and lots of other people's, but he is the living embodiment. That's why I love meeting him back in 2018 in Nashville, and I wanted to share him with you here today. All right, everybody, thanks for joining me. Share with you tomorrow. Bye-bye.